Blog Talk Radio. Hello. Hello. This is the Gist of Freedom. You're listening to the Gist of Freedom. I am Leslie Gist. Uh, we have a great show. Uh, we are expecting to speak to Senator Senator Eric Adams. Are you on the line? Uh, well, Michael Cord is on the line. Okay. We're waiting for Senator Eric Adams. Thanks, Michael. Okay. I don't oh, my know pleasure. what's going Yes, okay, let's see what is happening. So I'm going to put some music on. Could you hold on? Well, I can hold on or I can just talk or I can do whatever you need me to do. atonement, we pray to God to forgive us for our sins and the foolishness of our ways as we seek to do better and never to become bitter and let nothing, nobody stand between us and the love of God. The idea of a million men has touched a nerve deep in the hearts of people yearning to breathe free. Big meetings were never allowed on the plantation. We've always yearned for a big meeting. Today, 
We've left the plantation. This is a big meeting. Raw nerves of ancient longing for dignity has been touched. I wish that Dr. King, Mr. Muhammad, Malcolm, Claude McKissick, Medgar Evers, Fannie Lou Hamer, Daisy Bates, Byers Rustin, Paul Robeson, Cleve Robertson, Mr. Michaud, Putney Young, Clarence Mitchell, Roy Wilkins, and Thurgood Marshall could see us now. America will benefit and ultimately be grateful for this day when the rising tide for racial justice and gender equality and family stability lifts the boats stuck at the bottom, all boats benefit. Why are we here today? Because we're under attack by the courts, legislatures, mass media, with the spies. Racists attack us for sport to win votes. We attack for sport to make money. But I tell you today, rabbit hunting ain't fun when the rabbits stop running and start fighting back. Here we are in 1995 trying to stop 1996 from becoming like 1896, the end of Second Reconstruction. Mr. Muhammad said, when we come into ourselves and know our true selves, we'll have our place in the sun. President Lou Hamer said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. The general truth said to the, the feminist movement that she sought justice between white and black women, ain't I a woman? Martin Luther King Jr. said, when he rescued Rosa Parks, better than be walking dignity than ride in shame. Why are we here today? Because we will not surrender. We will not bow. We choose life, but if we must die, let it be nobly and not like dogs, Paul McKay said. Dr. King said it was the shameful condition of the Negro. Today, it's disgraceful. Why do we march? Because our babies die earlier, infant mortality. Why do we march? because we're trapped with second-class schools and first-class jails. What is the crisis? Wealth going upward, jobs going outward, middle class coming downward, the poor expanding rapidly, affirmative action, diversion, and, and race training a scapegoat. We want a new America where we define justice, not just I, but justice for all of God's people. We want one set of rules. Why is there anger in the air? 300,000 more young blacks in jail than in college. Why is there anger, justifiable anger in the air? Every major city. There are two new buildings, a new ballpark, and a new jail. Number one growth industry in urban America, jails. Half of all public housing built the last 10 years, jails. The jail budget's gone from $4 billion to $32 billion in 10 years, jails. They chastise the mothers, they chase the daddies, they lock up the children. Every major city, there is this jail and this ballpark. These two mountains, between the mountains, there is no industry. Jobs are leaving. So there is a canyon. In that canyon, fierce winds blow. 
a double sucking sound, sucking jobs out, sucking children out, people trapped in the valley of dry bones in pain and hurt and self-destruction. Why are there so many blacks in jail? Is it behavior or is it the rules? Let me talk about the rules here. Five grams of crack cocaine. Five years mandatory. 500 grams of powdered cocaine. You can get probation. Powder is wholesale. Crack is retail. Hello, this is Leslie. Can you hear me? Yes, this is Michael Cord. I can hear you. Okay, he was just on the line and he hung up. Let's see if you get back on. Okay. Um, what do you want to say about what you just listened to? Uh, powerful. Uh, normally, in situations where I'm waiting for a show to begin, I'm doing 50 different things. But when I heard Reverend Jesse Jackson go through that dynamic presentation, I mean, it felt, I had heard it before, but it just resounded once again in my ears. I mean, it was a powerful, powerful presentation, and toward the end of it, right before you came on, he was talking about the crack and powder cocaine disparity in terms of racism in the criminal justice system. Fortunately, very recently, that particular issue has been resolved, but uh, what Jesse was saying way back in 1995 is as powerful today as it was then. Right, right. I th- I thought it was awesome, and I hope um, uh, Senator will come back on the line uh, and talk about it because he was formerly a law enforcement agent. Yes, he was absolutely. a captain, and yes. um, I think he could uh, speak to it. You know, because he probably was definitely around. I mean, no doubt about it. You know, I'm a criminal defense attorney, and I've been doing this for 20 years, But and I certainly have some stories to tell about racism in the criminal justice system from my perspective, but it's just as interesting, if not more so, when you hear somebody in law enforcement. I mean, he basically was in law enforcement for about the same amount of time I was a criminal defense attorney. So I can talk about what's happening from my side of the street. He could talk about what's happening or what happened from his side of the street because, as you know, he has spent 22 years in law enforcement, but now he's a distinguished state senator. So he can tell us how the laws are enforced on the street and how they're made in the state capitol. This is so true. This is um, so true. I'm, I'm looking at the switchboard, and he hopefully he'll call right back. But we also have another clip. I have a clip from uh, a Martin Luther King sermon from, uh, I think it was, 58 at Bennett College. Mm-hmm. And um, I played this last night, and I think that uh, you appreciate it. So um, I want to apologize to the audience for a few things, and if he calls back in, we're going to have to just shut that clip um, down abruptly and let the senator speak. But um, you don't mind listening to Martha King, do you? I can't believe you asked me that. The answer is I can listen to him day, night, morning, afternoon, evening, for breakfast, lunch, dinner. It doesn't matter. Anytime, every time. Thank you for asking. Uh, Okay, let's play it. Play it right here. Let us continue to give big money for the cause of freedom. We've got to do more than that. We've got to sacrifice. And we we're going to have to give some money. Days ahead are still days of difficulty. We still have a long, long way to go. Let us use our money wisely. We can't pay any longer if we don't have it. I just mentioned a few minutes ago that we have an annual income now of almost $17 billion a year. We get almost everything else we want. We ride around in some of the biggest cars that have ever been let loose in the history. 
studying African-American history is just as important as looking at an MTV, blah, 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 raps, that kind of stuff. You know, do you have a strategy? Do you have an idea about that? That's an excellent question. And I think the best answer is you need the proper messenger. In other words, you might have the secret to life for young folks. I might have the secret to life for young folks. But if it comes from us, they're not going to hear it. They're only going to hear it if it comes from somebody who they respect because the ministers tell them every day. The teachers tell them every day. Their parents tell them every day. Many elected officials tell them every day, but it doesn't even go in one ear and out the other. It doesn't even go into the ear. They're just not hearing it. But if you had a Jay-Z saying it, if you had somebody like Lil Wayne saying it, if you had somebody who they respect and who they would be receptive to, then they'd be more inclined to listen. So before we even give them the message, before we even give them the answer, we need the proper messenger. Because if we don't have the proper messenger, they're not even going to hear it. And my solution is, and there's a selfish motive for me to say this, but it certainly works, is to use hip-hop. Because hip-hop is the language of young folks. Just like you and I speak, quote-unquote, proper English, they speak hip-hop. So if somebody comes along and says what Dr. King was saying, what Jesse Jackson was saying, what Ossie Davis was just saying, what Malcolm said, if somebody from the hip-hop community came along and said that, I mean, think about it. If if somebody like like Lil Wayne and and Jay-Z and Nicki Minaj put together a collaboration, a hip-hop song, saying go to school, get an education, uh, marry your baby mama, pay your child support. <laughs> if they put out Learn songs like that, the revolution would, cha- would happen overnight. I mean, no doubt about ah. it. So to answer your question directly, we need the proper messenger. We pretty much already have the message. We already have the answer. We just need the proper person to relay that message, to give them Can I follow up on that and ask you if you're going to be the next Cornell West? Um, Are doing a a movie? It's an interesting question. The answer would have been absolutely positively yes before he became an Obama hater. You know, um, when Dr. West was simply – the thing is this, and I don't want to get sidetracked because I want to get back to your point, but Dr. West didn't attack Bush the way he's attacking Obama. He didn't attack Bush oh, You're preaching Bush to the one. converted. You are yeah, exactly. preaching to the converted. So, so that's the problem I got. And don't get me wrong now. A lot of what uh, Dr. West says is true, but it seems mm. to be motivated by venom, by anger, than by legitimate questions. I agree, and it's out of balance. That's exactly right. So, But, but in terms balance. of your question generally, yeah, the kind of thing that he has done, because he has done some great work reaching out to young, trying to reach out to young folks, trying to use hip-hop in a proper way. So the answer is yes. Um, at some point, I'm certainly going to try that. In fact, I think I mentioned to you in passing, I'm actually working on a book. And the book, yeah. I would hope, at some point not only becomes published as a book, uh, but as a, fe- a feature-length film at, at a certain point. Um, okay. So that Because sadly, young folks don't read. Um, and they certainly don't read what they're supposed to read, but they will watch a movie. Um, so right. if at some right. point the book that I'm talking about, which would basically include the answer they need to hear, but it would be delivered to them by a messenger that they respect, not me as the writer, well, but know. the protagonist Mr. Bird, let me in say the this book. And then I'll stop taking up your valuable time. You're... Hello. Um, do we have Senator Eric Adams on? Yes. How are you? Sorry for the delay, but I got caught up. Well, we're just happy that you were able to make it, and I'm going to introduce you to attorney activist, Mr. Michael Court, and I'm going to let you have the show. Thank you. Well, well, let me say this, Senator. First of all, my name is Michael Court. I'm a criminal defense attorney in Philadelphia, but more than that, I'm an activist and a radio show, and I like to describe myself, Senator, as the angriest black man in America. So without me going into any more detail than that, I think that's the fight. Because I don't want to waste any time talking about me. We want to get into you and what you do. And if you don't mind, Senator, let me just spend a minute or two letting the listening audience know a little bit about your background, and then we can go into the specifics uh, if you don't have any problem with handling it that way. Not at all. Okay. Uh, Those who are listening, we have on the line 
Senator Eric Adams. And by the way, this is the Gift of Freedom. Leslie Gift normally hosts this, but she invited me to sit in to interview the distinguished senator from New York, Senator Eric Adams, of the 20th Senatorial District covering Crown Heights and Flatbush and other areas, was elected in 2006, re-elected since then. He is both a Democrat and, in just a minute, Senator, I want you to explain to us what is the Working Families Party. It sounds very interesting. We all know what the Democrat Party is, the Republican Party is, the Green Party, but i got to admit, although I'm politically astute, I've never heard of the Working Families Party, so we'd like you to talk about that. Let me just spend another minute talking a little bit about you, sir, before you take over. Um, for those who don't know, Senator Eric Adams is not only a distinguished senator from New York, but he's also a former police officer, not just a police officer. He's a former captain of the New York Police Department with 22 years in law enforcement. But he didn't stop there. He also co-founded 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement Who Care. And what they essentially do is provide assistance and subsidies to community-based organizations. So you got cops helping people in the community. And i got to tell you, Senator, being from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, that's unheard of. We're not familiar with anything like that, so maybe you can tell us how to do that here in the city. Um, also in regard to Senator Eric um, Adams, he serves on the board of a group called the Eastern District Counseling Service. It basically helps people with substance abuse problems. And he's not just a great former cop. He's not just a great current senator, but he's also a scholar of sorts. Here's a man who holds a master's degree in public administration, is a graduate of John Jay College of Criminal Justice. I mean, he's just done so much, but we don't have a whole lot of time. So without further ado, let me turn it over to the distinguished senator, Eric Adams. And, if, sir, if you want to fill in the blanks, go ahead, and i got a million follow-up questions after that. Well, first of all, thank you for allowing me to be on uh, your program, and I think that it was fitting uh, your comments that you made earlier about being the angriest uh, black man in America, because uh, if if we allow people to uh, define our human emotions and not allow us to take a natural emotion on what we're feeling, then we yes. are fools. How could we not be angry when we look around at what's happening in our community and what's happening really uh, globally to people of color? If you're not angry, then you are basically sitting back and you must be on some permanent uh, prescription <laughs> of no pain and you're not feeling any pain. And I feel pain and I am angry just as, as you are. Uh, there's a lot we have to do, and I think at the heart of, of what we have to do, I've always felt and I learned from my years in law enforcement is about ensuring uh, not only public safety, but ensuring that our communities receive the necessary resources to allow them to be productive and have a level of prosperity. We can't continue to show the pattern that's sweeping the country. When we live in particular areas, build up those areas, and once we do so, we're moved out of those areas, and others find it popular to live there. And that's the pattern that I, that I see and witness sweeping the entire country. And as a state senator here in New York, I bring, you know, not only my law enforcement experience, but also the experience of being an activist many years ago when I was part of the National Black United Front under Reverend Herbert Daughtry, and we dealt with some of the issues that they actually instructed me to go into law enforcement. I was not uh, a person that wanted to go into law enforcement. I was a, what one would call a computer geek at the time, okay. and they they sat down a group of African-American men, and I was one of them, and they gave us an assignment to go in law enforcement and go in and transform the agency from the inside out, and I believe we did a good job in doing so. Great, great. In fact, let me do this, if you don't mind. I just have a few questions I want to ask you. I believe that uh, we probably have to wrap things up in about 30 minutes, so I hope that we can steal that amount of time from you because I know you're very, very busy. And let me just say this, Senator. When you came on, you apologized for being late. You're certainly not late, sir. You're actually early because we know you got a million other things to do, and the fact that you took time out to be on this show, we certainly appreciate that. And I'm speaking not only on behalf of myself, Attorney Michael Cord, but also Leslie Gist of the Gist of Freedom. Those who are listening are listening to blogtalkradio.com, the Gist of 
of freedom. We have on the line the distinguished New York Senator Eric Adams of the 20th Senatorial District, and he just talked a little bit about his background uh, working in public safety, the National Black United Fund. But, uh, Senator, let me ask you about some of the stuff you are actually doing, because a lot of times, you know, politicians come on and they talk a good game, but they can't back it up. You back it up. Let's talk about some of your work, specifically your workshops. What is this thing called what to do when stopped by the police? What is that, and how can that help primarily young black men, but all folks? Well, you know, what I found uh, years ago, you know, when I played uh, football for Bayside High School, uh, we used to win championships all the time until one year we lost. And the coach spoke with us and said, the problem is we don't deal with the basics, and we need to go back to the basics of knowing how to run, catch, and throw, et cetera. Yeah. And I believe that what's impacting our communities is that we are not dealing with the basics anymore. We've, we've become so far removed from the basics. And many uh, forums and uh, workshops we put together, one of them is what to do with stop by the police. What it does is it empowers young people not to be the victim of over-aggressive police practices and how do you really fight to win. You don't fight to win just just by just telling someone off and you you have handcuffs on and you're sitting in a jail cell somewhere and now you have to navigate the criminal justice system. You learn to strategically use conflict resolution skills on how to get out of the conflict, first of all, and number two, how to go about reporting what happened to you so you can receive some form of justice. So it's very real-life engagement where we allow the young people to be part of role plays, and we do um, several vignettes of showing them several different encounters they could have with law enforcement and how to navigate that and make sure that they don't come away with a permanent record. As you know, as an attorney, once a young person is arrested, that's a permanent record on his file, and it would impact him for the rest of his life, and we would like to prevent that. Let me ask you, Senator, how long have you been holding these workshops entitled What to Do When Stopped by the Police? Well, these, for the last almost uh, 13, 14 years, the workshops wow. have been in the play, and you know, thousands of young people have went through. The workshops have, have been duplicated uh, throughout the state, and it should be duplicated throughout the, the, the country. People of color are the largest number of groups of people who will have negative encounters with police yes. officers. Yes. And we get our training from police officers by watching CSI or some other television program. In reality, that is not it. We need real-life training on the ground. Now, in terms of negative encounters, Senator, from a practical standpoint, what do you what do you say to a 17-year-old black kid who has been stopped by the police in the car for no reason, called the N-word, and roughed up? What does that kid do? Does he stand there and bite his tongue? What does he do? And I, and I think that's, that's, a, that's a perfect uh, uh, scenario we're in because we as black men uh, don't like to have to bite our tongue. And people factor in their interaction with black men because they know how proud we are, particularly yes. if we are in the presence with a loved one, a family member, yes. or a woman that's in our lives. And so people factor in how they're going to address us and deal with us because they believe we look for the instant victory. And so I've been stopped on many occasions, even as a law enforcement officer and a senator, where the person who stopped me was disrespectful. But I'm not going to fight a battle with a police officer on a dark alleyway or on a dark street corner yes. and expect to win. It's not going to happen. I'm going to fight him on my ground, and if it means compliance today to fight a good fight tomorrow, then I'm going to comply, but I know I'm going to fight the fight. i got to tell you, Senator, I've asked other elected officials similar types of questions, and your answer was by far the best because your answer allows this angry young black kid to realize that he's still being a man by biting his tongue. He's not being a punk. So the way you laid it out to him, he can maintain his composure and keep his dignity at the same time and avoid a criminal charge, a beatdown, or worse. Without a doubt, without a doubt, because the name of the game is not to win a round, it's to win yes. a fight. And so you may win one round by cursing out the police officer or telling him what's on your mind. You may win two rounds, 
but at the end of the fight, are you, yes. will your hand go up in history, <laughs> or would you yes. put aside a jail cell with a with a large attorney fee, a, a blemish on your record, and your yes. life and your family to disarray? And that's what we, I try to instruct our young people. You're not being a man by telling someone off. You're, you're a man when you're able to learn when to fight and when not to and how to fight and how not to. Well said, Senator. Those who just tuned in, we're here on the Gist of Freedom. Normally, uh, the host here is Leslie Gist, and she does a great job with the Gist of Freedom, but she invited me, Attorney Michael Cord from Philadelphia, to interview the distinguished Senator Eric Adams from the 20th Senatorial District covering Crown Heights and Flatbush and other areas. He's been in office since 2006, has been reelected, and based on the answers he's given so far to these Pretty complicated questions or in-depth questions. He's so far one for one. Let's see if he's going to be two for two with the next issue. I also heard about something, Senator, called the Cradle to College Parent and Youth Empowerment Seminar. What exactly is the Cradle to College Parent and Youth Empowerment Seminar? <laughs> Same with the theme of dealing with the basics. Uh, a mother gives birth. No one hands her a manual on how to raise that child or some of the complexities that she has to navigate as a parent. Particularly during these times, people spend countless number of hours trying to harm our children. And what we do with our Parent Empowerment Seminar, we call it From Cradle to College. We give parents very real, practical steps on how they can go about navigating the challenges that come with raising a child during these times. A lot of young adults and young parents um, have their first child. They go by trial and error, and we need to, we need to take away that trial and error by having uh, doctors that give them instructions on some of the health care needs and, and dealing with childhood obesity, by having um, financial literacy experts to talk about how you start now to prepare for college for your child and not get in debt by high-interest rate yeah. credit cards by having uh, people come in and talk about how to talk to a child during those difficult years and some questions that they may have. So it's an all-day seminar of very real, practical instructions so so parents can walk out not feeling a power list, but empowered of how do I instruct and help my child go from the cradle all the way through college in a very real way. We charge them nothing. It's a free, full-day seminar. I put on a seminar since I was elected, and we get uh, hundreds of uh, young people and young parents that come through and get some very useful information. And it's just another way of giving people the basics that they need that you can't find it anywhere, and no one seems to want to empower parents like they need to be empowered. Absolutely powerful, this empowerment seminar. My next question, Senator, is how can we steal you from New York and bring you to Philadelphia? <laughs> nah, but the, the name of the game is, you know, I'm a big believer in systems. Uh, there's one thing I learned from uh, law enforcement is that I'm sure in Philly or New York or Newark or any place, uh, or even law school, as you can uh, attest to, uh, systems are in place. You don't have to reinvent these systems. If a police officer responds to a car accident, he doesn't create a new form to fill out the information for that car that was struck, he already has a form. There's a procedure that's in place. He followed that, that, that procedure. That's what I believe we need to create. Brothers like yourself and I, we need to create systems and the discipline that comes with those systems that we can drop into any city that's suffering from the same problems. There's systems on how to turn around a community. There's systems of how to turn around an educational system that's lacking. There's systems to how to hold an elected official accountable to make sure he's doing their job. So we don't have to borrow the individual. We need to borrow the system. There's nothing great about me. It's just that something is good about that I'm following a system that has been proven to be successful in uplifting people. So we need to force new systems in place and instill the discipline to follow those systems. Our communities are not suffering from the lack of desire. We're suffering from the lack of discipline. And once we get that discipline and once we learn the discipline that is needed to get from where we are to where we want to be, we can turn our communities around overnight. 
Senator. That sounds great. And I want to ask you about a, another workshop that you were involved in, uh, apart from the what to do when you stop by the police workshop and the cradle to college parent and youth empowerment seminar. But before we get to the uh, next uh, workshop question, Senator Adams, what is this Working Families Party? Uh, I was familiar with you as a Democrat, but I had never heard of this Working Families Party. Tell us how it is and were you elected through that party? Tell us a little bit about that. That's a good question. Uh, all across the country, you know, uh, the Democratic and the Republican parties are the two well-known parties in America. But, in fact, there are many smaller parties uh, that are on the ballot as well. We don't pay much attention to them because the mass media uh, really just focus on the two important uh, parties or the larger parties. However, there's an independent electoral party parties that are in the uh, country. And now, more than ever, if you pay, pay close attention to the upcoming presidential election, you'll see that these small independent voters are now becoming the swing voters to decide who's going to win and who's not. Right now, they always stated how the independents will vote. So the WFP is one of those small parties, and they, in very close elections, can make the difference between you being becoming an elected official or not, particularly on a local level. And you receive their uh, endorsement when you come before them, lay out your plan of what you want to do as an elected official, and if it buys into those things that impact families, uh, they normally give you the nod and they support you. So that's another a slot on the ballot where you are located. So someone that goes to the polling site on Election Day, they can either vote, either vote for me as a Democrat or they can vote for me under the working family, the WFP party line, one of the two. It's, uh, it's another one of the parties, but it's a smaller party. Okay. Now, this uh, working party's family, is this something that is as influential uh, statewide as it is citywide? They, they are extremely influential in New York City, and believe it or not, if, you, if your uh, listeners were to uh, go online and Google them, they were influential even in the presidential election. They have one wow. of the best grassroots campaigns. Um, this, they're, in New York State, they are known as one of the top street organizers on how to get the vote and how to mobilize the vote. Uh, they do a great job, and having them as a as a supporter uh, really assists your, assists your campaign in a very great way. Now, without getting into all the detail about them, because I want to get into detail about you, would you describe them as a more progressive party than, say, the Democratic Party? I mean, are they do they seem to be more vocal and stronger in regard to uh, so-called minority rights and women's rights and uh, other issues such as that? Without a doubt, uh, they are considered an extremely progressive uh, party Great. with uh, progressive ideas. Uh, uh, they are very well known for their progressive ideas. Wow, i got to tell you, I, I'm learning a great lesson from you tonight, Senator. And by the way, those who just tuned in to the Gets the Freedom hosted by Leslie Gist, Leslie was kind enough to allow me to sit in the big chair tonight to interview the distinguished Senator Eric Adams of the 20th Senatorial District of New York, covering Crown Heights, Flatbush, and other areas in New York City. He was elected in 2006 and has been reelected since then. He spent more than two decades as a law enforcement professional, and in addition to that, he's a scholar of sorts, holding a master's degree in public administration and is also a graduate of John Jay College of Criminal Justice. And if you've been listening to us for the last 15 minutes or so, you see that he's a down-to-earth guy. He's not pompous. He's not arrogant. He's a real guy, and I appreciate having him on. Uh, let me just ask another question, Senator, about another workshop before we get to something that's uh, quite important to me, and we'll get to that in a second. But right now, this other workshop, Project Safe Surrender. A lot of times young folks, and sadly too often young black males, have some minor criminal charges. They don't go to court. Bench warrants are issued, and now a minor thing has turned into a major thing. What is this Project Safe Surrender? You know what, I'm, I'm glad you uh, you asked that question because I'm hoping that uh, uh, progressive folks in Philly can duplicate
Project Safe Surrender in their home state. What happens in New York City, uh, you can receive a summons for a number of minor infractions, such as if a person uh, is drinking alcohol in public, uh, if a person is riding a bike on the sidewalk, uh, if a person urinates in public, you will receive a summons for those actions. What many people are not aware of is that a summons is in lieu of arrest. You, instead of getting a summons, an officer can also arrest, arrest you for those actions, but we don't do that here in New York City. Instead, you're given a summons. You go to court on the date that you're supposed to. You pay the fine or go through whatever proceedings is supposed to take place. You walk out and you go on with your life. There's no permanent blemish on your record, and everything is great. However, if you don't show up to court on the date that you're supposed to, now that summons turns into a warrant, and wow. the police officer can go out at any time and arrest the person for failure to appear on a warrant. They could knock on their door at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning and just apprehend them. They can go to their job and apprehend them, or because one day stop them on the street for some other reason and find out that they have a warrant, and now you go, instead of paying a fine, you actually go to jail, and you spend the night in jail, or sometimes two days in jail, until you are released the next day. So what we put in place is this program called Project Safe Surrender. We set up court to a church, inside a church building, and we got all our pastors together, and we told all those people, over 500,000 people, that have these warrants because they did not show up in court for the summons, come this day and we will resolve the issue if you come and we will vacate that warrant, we'll get rid of that warrant, and you don't have to live in the shadows anymore, and we'll deal with the issue of the summons. And that's what we did, and we, we, will, we, we will continue to try to do this program so we deal with those warrants that are out there. Imagine over 500,000 people have these warrants hanging over their heads. That means there are potentially a half a million criminals out there. When I say criminals, I mean people who would be treated like criminals. Exactly. You, you, I couldn't have said it better. And in, instead of them just having to pay a normal fine like a parking ticket or some other fine, yes. they yes. now have a record where, where no matter where they go, there's a warrant waiting for them. If they ever have any encounter with the police, they run their name, and a warrant will pop up, and they will be arrested. Now, we've had something like that not even sporadically, less than sporadically here in Philadelphia. Is this thing, this Project Safe Surrender, is that something that goes on on a regular basis uh, uh, in your district? Well, we did it three times in the borough of Brooklyn, uh, which is one of the boroughs within uh, the city of New York. Uh, and we're hoping to do it again and make it a city-wide encounter Great. and if not a statewide encounter. And really it should be a national encounter because, because people who have minor infractions should not be put in jail, and we should never have a system that is more uh, encouraged to put people in jail than it is to find a resolution to a particular minor infraction. Those of you who have just tuned in, you're listening to Senator Eric Adams of the 20th Senatorial District covering Crown Heights, Flatbush, and other areas of New York. He's elected in 2006, re-elected since then as a Democrat, and as he explained so well, the Working Families Party. This show is the Gist of Freedom, normally hosted by Leslie Gist, but she allowed me, Attorney Michael Cord of Philadelphia, to sit in to interview the distinguished Senator Eric Adams. Senator, before I ask the next important question, I have another qu quicker important question, which is how do folks get a hold of you? How do they contact you? Is there a website? Is there an email? Is there a phone number? Uh, the, the fastest way is to uh, go online uh, to uh, and just Google my name, Senator Great. Eric Adams, and I, I have a Facebook page as well as uh, my uh, website pops up uh, in addition to the Facebook page, so they can just Google Senator Eric Adams, and both the website and the Facebook page uh, will pop up, and you can easily email. I'll get the email off that those pages. Great. 
Great, great. Uh, time now is 8.50 p.m., and we probably have about 10 minutes, so let me try to run through some other questions. You took a pretty strong position for to understand in terms of Occupy Wall Street, specifically Zuccotti Park. Uh, as the world knows, the police came in and moved the occupiers out on November 15, and there were some questions as to whether or not there was any police misconduct. I understand that you either called for an investigation or requested information. What exactly happened with that, and what is exactly happening with that? Well, you probably need a whole new show uh, just entire, you know, <laughs> just dedicated to that discussion. But I'll, but I'll give you the microwave version, the brief okay, version. Okay, I like uh, that. But what happens is in New York City, police officers are not allowed to take property from a citizen without giving them a receipt for that property. This way you can ensure that that citizen always has the right to retain or to regain possession of that property. In Zuccotti Park, the police went in, forcefully removed people during the death of night, and took all of their personal property and threw it into dump trucks and threw it into garbage trucks and removed it without allowing each individual to get a receipt for their property. So they went, they tried to uh, uh, remove people from the park forcefully in an expeditious fashion so they can do it before uh, it interrupts Wall Streeters without giving them the necessary safeguards that I, that's in their policy. But in addition to what they did with people's personal property, we also have a very strong uh, freedom of press operation and uh, observance here in the city of New York, and if not without the entire country. And there are very clear procedures on uh, preventing the press from covering stories, particularly when they have press passes. And it's a trade-off, because you and I both know um, at uh, police scenes, fire scenes, and other scenes of emergency, every New Yorker can't be there to watch what takes place. So the trade-off is to have an independent eye as a member of the media who has a press pass is allowed to do the observance. Not only did the police prevent the members of the media to observe what took place, but they actually arrested some members of the media when they refused to uh, uh, move from the scene. They, they violated their, their rules and procedures, and we're asking the mayor and the police commissioner to give us some clear uh, information on what took place that night and why were their procedures are violated, and we're still awaiting a response from them. But we know the media also had a meeting with the police commissioner um, to go over these issues because there was a blatant disregard uh, for not only the property of New Yorkers, but also the right of the media to cover these, these uh, information, these, these incidents. I got to tell you, Senator, first of all, thank you very much for that tasty microwave version. Um, that certainly laid out everything for us, and we would like to have you back to go into more detail. I want to try to get to a few more questions about potential police misconduct, but let's talk about some positive stuff. Talk to the listening audience about the first New York Police, de New York police Department black officer, a gentleman by the name of Moses Cobb. I understand that there was a ceremony honoring him. Talk a little bit about him and that ceremony. No, so true. And, and this, this was a this was a powerful brother um, uh, as one of the first police officers uh, to come uh, to New York. Uh, he walked, um, you know, up here. Uh, what year are we talking member. about? What, what's the time frame? I have, what year? I have, I have, I'm not sure of the exact uh, uh, okay. date. Okay. Uh, it's it around the early 1900s. I know that. that, that that's what I uh, wanted to know. It was that long ago? Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, it was around the early 1900s. Um, yeah. And, and you know, your, your listeners really should look at his history and who he was because he embodied the spirit of, of what I believe we need to embody, and that's no excuses. Uh, yeah. To come into yeah. the police department um, under those horrific conditions, we need, to, we need to really take ourselves back there. I mean, when you're talking about uh, 1912, uh, 1911, they were lynching people of color. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to, to, to actually know what it was for him to go through an institution that was really created to deal with 
uh, the whole issue of how you deal with the, you know, the free black population that's coming from the South and how you deal with, uh, you know, the, the what was considered ghettos at the time. And here this brother came into the police department and had to deal with some serious harassment. You know, but he was a he was a serious cat because not only must we must we be uh, intellectual. It, it, it's great to have a master's on the wall. It's great to it's great, yeah. great to um, to be an attorney. But every once in a while, man, we got to roll up our sleeve and kick somebody's <laughs> butt. You know, because all that intellectual stuff to someone that does not want to reason in an intellectual fashion. You know, part of being intellectual is we have to be physically fit to be prepared to knock somebody out when we have to do that. And that's Absolutely. how he was. He got so tired of people being disrespectful, he told some of those cats in the precinct that, I tell you what, at 5 o'clock, I want to see you downstairs. You know, so we can deal with this random man. And he had no other problems after that. You know, so, you know, um, so this was a great, pioneer, as many great pioneers uh, that, you know, really are not part of the headlines of histories, but they have some major paragraphs that has led to the serious book of how great we are in our profession, from the first black attorney to the first black yeah. doctor to the first black school teacher. It all adds up that it's all part of who we are, and that's why because of the legacy that these people have accomplished, we got to do better than what we're doing because we are better than what we're showing. i got to tell you, Senator, as I said earlier, you are not only a distinguished state senator but a scholar in your own right because I asked you about when was it that uh, Moses Cobb served, and you said around the turn of the century, and you're absolutely right. we got our crack research team who indicated that uh, he was a police officer in the mid to late 1800s, so you're absolutely right. And if you think that we had a rough time today in 2012, can you imagine what he went through before the turn of the century? Senator, we're running out of time. We've got two, three minutes left, so I'm going to turn it over to you and ask you a general question, and you can take three, four, five minutes to answer it. When you look at the plight of black folks in America today, we're not talking about turn of the century, we're talking about uh, 2012. We seem to be at the bottom when it comes to the criminal justice system, the bottom when it comes to employment, the bottom when it comes to housing and health care and education. If you were the president or the king or whoever of America, what would be your approach toward a solution? You obviously couldn't wave a magic wand, but how would you begin to deal with these problems where we are at the bottom of all these important categories? And I'll give you three, four minutes to deal with that, and I'm sure you're coming with the perfect answer in that amount of time. Okay, I think that's, I think that's a, a profound and powerful question. Whenever you're trying to take yourself out of a particular predicament, all you have to do is look and see what has others uh, uh, carried out or what have others done or did uh, to take themselves out of the same condition. We're not the yes. first to be at the bottom. Other groups were at the bottom. We were yes. at the bottom when we came off of plantations. We, we, we decided to create our own industries. We decided to do for ourselves. So the, the problem is not that we're at the bottom. The problem is that too many people of color have become comfortable with being at the bottom. Yes. So we now need to start the process of making it unacceptable to be at the bottom. Our standards are too low, brother. We we, mm. we lowered our standards so much. The, the the women in our lives expected so little from the, their mates in their lives. Don't want to vote. Don't want to get a job. Don't want to go and be a part of their family. You know, we allow our children to walk around with showing their underwears in the street. How is the globe going to respect us if we can't navigate corporate America when we can't navigate a belt loop on our pants? we got to raise what we expect of each other. I'm going to tell you something. If, if a sister, if all sisters say, no brother won't give my phone number or a kiss without a high school diploma, most brothers <laughs> would be in school than you can ever imagine. When you expect less, you get less. We have to expect more from each other. So as a president or a king or just a state senator, I'm going to instill in the people I represent, you got to expect more of yourself and expect more from the people who are around you in order to be more. You are listening to the words of distinguished Senator Eric Adams of the 20th 
Senatorial District, New York. He's a man who does what he says he's going to do and gets it done. We've spent about 35, 40 minutes speaking with him, and I want to spend another 35, 40 minutes speaking to him at some time in the future. For more information about New York Senator Eric Adams, as he said, just Google the name, Eric, E-R-I-C, last name Adams, A-D-A-M-S, and you'll find out all you need to find out about this gentleman. want to give a big shout-out to Leslie Gist of Gist of Freedom here in Blog Talk Radio, but most important, we want to thank Senator Eric Adams taking up time from his very busy schedule to hang out with us from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Thank you very much, Senator, and we will be in touch to try to get you back on again. Thank you, brother. Be strong. Take care. All right. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye.